I was like, what did we talk about? <laughs> I have to re-listen to it. And then I have to go through this blah, blah part in the beginning because it's not a topic at all. <laughs> I see. So, so our, our, uh, our, our banter at the beginning of podcasts is, is irritating to you, I guess. Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hi, Hello. Dr. Susan Little. This is Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. <laughs> Yes, you were very fast. We said hello right. the same way, and then I backed off. Uh, and this is the Per Podcast. And Dr. Susan is so excited that she was I, first. Uh, I, I tried. I tried. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you faked me up there a little bit because because I'm drinking a, um, a cup of coffee, and I almost had a mouthful of coffee, but we're good. Yes, you didn't yeah. splatter it all over the screen, which would be really cool if you are a part of Patreon, because you could see Dr. Susan <laughs> and I talk, and you see all the coffee come out. But uh, sadly, uh, we don't have a lot of subscriptions yet, Dr. Susan, so you don't have to yes. worry about it. But um, I just do want to say that we have now between four and a half thousand and five thousand downloads per month. Oof. That's exciting. Lots of cat lovers out there. That's yes. great news. So we're doing uh, the cat of the per podcast doing really well. The cat cafe is is slowly climbing, but uh, the per podcast is very very popular. And thank you to all our faithful listeners. Yes, absolutely. Thank you very much. I'm I'm really a podcast cast addict and you you are too i think you'll mm -hmm. actually your podcast person. yeah yeah i love podcasts yeah. so uh, I, I i listen more than i look uh and uh, and i love i love listening to podcasts although it varies sometimes what podcasts i listen to um and sometimes i you know as a matter of fact with returning to the office i'm listening more again because i have to drive again and so then I have time to listen. If you're at home, it's a little bit more difficult. You really have to. So I, I listen when I walk, for instance, uh, Little Chippy. Um, uh, I listen sometimes in the evening if I have a little bit of time. But when you're working from home, time seems to disappear. What, so what podcast are you listening to right now? Uh, that's a good question. Which was the last one that I'm listening to? You know, I'm listening to so, so many things. So as a matter of fact, the one thing that I'm listening to lately is called Blinkist. Oh. It's not really a podcast. It is a, a site where they summarize books. Oh, yes. I've heard of this. And I love yes. that. So a lot of the, and I'm, I'm going to say something and I'm pissed probably going to piss off a lot of people but a lot of these uh management books yeah um i really get bored by them because yeah. it is kind of a rehashing of the same thing so there is a good idea but then they write a whole book about that good idea and it, it is very very tiring so blinkist kind of summarizes these books into a between 15 and 20 minutes podcast and i love that because you get the essences of those books right there uh, and if i like what they say then i will read the book and if i don't like what they say or if i'm like okay i got it now after the 15 
time, then I'm not reading the book, but I still understand what they're talking about. And it's funny because people were talking to me about books and, oh, I read this book, it's so good. And I just listened to it on Blinkist. I'm like, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who, who has time anyway, right? I'm going to check that out. That's a great idea. So Yeah, so you, you have to pay for it, uh-huh. uh, but it is so worth it for me. Um, and and yeah, it's it's lovely. I love it. I have to tell you that I would not be able to get through this pandemic with all the stresses of being a small business owner if it wasn't for murder mystery podcasts. That's oh, what's I keeping bet. me alive. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the ability at the end of the day to listen to the newest dateline murder takes me out of my world and you know puts me in a different universe and uh yeah so thanks to all the murder mystery podcasts out there i'm i'm hanging in <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I, I also listen to a lot of books so i i forced myself uh to to listen to books uh and uh book that i'm listening to right now is a different uh asked of uh, told me to uh to um to read this book, and that is uh, Where the Crawdads Sing. Where the Crawdads Sing. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's a, it's a great book. Uh, it's Delia Owens that wrote the book, and um, it's, you know, I do audiobooks, uh, and I really, uh-huh. really like it. So. I'm listening to a biography of Winston Churchill. Oh, nice. Yes. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, but that's, you know, um, maybe we should start a podcast about books. <laughs> yeah, we don't have anything else to do. Um, and our topic of today was... Believe it or not, part two of our feral and community cat discussion, which exactly. you, know, you, you wouldn't know by listening to the beginning of this podcast. Yes, yes. You know, it's funny because when I, I tried, I always forget and I should write it down Um uh, I always forget the topic that we talked about. It's it's kind of funny. So even a, two days later, when I get the files that I have to put into our Spreaker account, I was like, what did we talk about? <laughs> I have to re-listen to it. And then I have to go through this blah, blah part in the beginning because it's not a topic at all. <laughs> I see. So, so our our, uh, our our banter at the beginning of podcasts is, is irritating to you, I guess. Oh, no, Just it's not. It's forward. very it, it's very funny, but, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm always in a hurry. So I was like, yes. okay, what is the topic? What's the That's topic that we talk about now? And I, I know the, the big picture, but I never know the little details. And yeah. I have to write kind of a funny description about it. Yeah. Uh, so maybe I should have you do that next time. Well, we do have like over 100 podcasts, you know, so. It's more. We're at, at yeah. almost at 150. <gasps> there you go. The per podcast. Yeah. And we're so. still talking. And we're still talking, yeah. <laughs> Endless talking. All right, feral yeah. and community yes. cats. Feral and community cats. Yeah, finally. Um, yeah, so we left off last week and talking about some management strategies, mm. but um, there's one that we didn't talk about, and that is non-surgical contraception or non-surgical sterilization, however you want to put it, because that's really kind of the holy grail, isn't it? It is. It is. Right. So before we start talking about it, let's talk about surgical uh, sterilization and castration mm. 
a little bit because it's kind of my field. Um, <laughs> the uh, there's there's lots of ways you can do it, but the the whole idea between surgical intervention is to remove the gonads, uh, either the testicles in the male or the ovaries in the female. Uh, and it really doesn't matter how you do it, as long as you do it. Uh, there are very, or there are, in cats, there are many minimal invasive techniques that you can use, very small incisions, because with these feral cats, you want to kick them out as soon as possible. You don't want to keep them in the hospital. So most of the time, we're trying to make the smallest incision that we can. Uh, we have, for instance, in cats, small spay hooks where we can kind of fish out the ovaries and then we suture the vessels because that you cannot just take them out because mm -hmm. they will bleed. They're, they're big blood vessels, even in, in cats. So you have to tie off the little blood vessels and then you remove the ovaries. Um, and it's a very simple procedure, really, if you get the hang of it. There's two ways you can do it. You can do it through the midline or you can do it through the side. You know, in the UK, they're really like the side incision of what we call the flank incision. In the US and some other countries, they really like to do it in the middle. It really doesn't matter. The incision is about... I would say a centimeter or two, or maybe an inch, a little bit less than an inch. Um, and uh, and then they put a couple of sutures in there and they suture the skin under the skin. So there's no suture sticking out because a cat will try to rip them out immediately. And, uh, and then they're released. Yeah, you know, I'm in awe of the surgeons who do work at uh, what are called high volume um, mm -hmm. spay neuter clinics. You know, there, there are veterinarians who that's the, their, you know, one of their primary jobs and they are, they're competent, they're fast, they're yeah. efficient um, because, you know, they have to get through however many cats in a day. That's and as, as you said, we don't want them to stay very long. Usually the goal is to get them back to their caretaker the same day. And yeah. the caretakers are usually asked to, to like leave them in their trap in a sheltered spot overnight and then release yeah. them the next yeah, morning. Yeah, that's it. So yeah. normally when cats and dogs that are owned come to the veterinarian, we normally say, just keep them for a, a night. So we can take, we can keep an eye on them, see if everything is going well, give them some fluids, keep them warm, etc. But with these feral cats, that often doesn't happen. They go home the same day. Uh, and there is, of course, a small risk there. So that's why, you know, you tell uh you know, the caretakers to keep them in the trap for a little bit longer just to see if everything is okay. But they get back to their lively cells quite quickly. So, and then yeah. you release them, but you don't see them back. You know, often <laughs> with these owned cats, they come back a week later or 10 days later to see if everything looks fine. Um, but with these feral cats, you won't, <laughs> you will not see them back because they learn if I get, you know, in that little trap where the food is, yep. things happen to me that I don't want to happen yeah. again so they they'll be gone for a while they must feel uh, like they've been abducted by aliens you know when they go exactly, the exactly, but, exactly. but you know their, their caretakers know them right and that's yes. why uh flank incisions are popular in a lot of these programs because then the yeah. caretaker has a decent chance yeah, of being able it. to see yeah yeah, yeah. And in the male cat, it's really easy. It's just a very small incision oh, for the testicles. Uh, and we don't even use suture material. We just tie it over there are the little spermatic cords, which is the attachment into the abdomen. It's it's a very simple procedure. It goes super fast. Yeah. And, and you're right. Those veterinarians, 
that do this surgery very commonly, they are super fast. They are amazing. Yeah. yeah, There's whole protocols worked out for these clinics, right? Mm -hmm. They use certain drugs so they can get the cats um, up and awake quick. You know, they have good pain relief. They do like really amazing jobs. So, and that's very important. I think we, we don't talk about pain relief enough. Uh, These procedures are all painful and they will get a whopping dose of pain, pain killers. And obviously it's only for a very short period of time. Well, but there's long acting injections Mm -hmm. now that will last Mm -hmm. more than a a day often. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's even better than, than it used to be, but you know, it doesn't matter how good these programs are. It still costs money to spay and neuter cats and it still takes time. So That's why there's been um, a quest for a long time now, more than 20, more than 20 years to to find a non-surgical way to reduce uh, reproduction in these cats. Looking for um, cost-effective ways that don't require a surgery suite, right? Um, That And if you can reduce the cost with something that's effective, then you can sterilize. That's a word that's often used. You can Mm -hmm. sterilize a lot more cats. And and it's interesting because it's probably the humane thing to do. So you don't have to do surgery. You don't have to inflict pain. And I remember there were some big grants uh, um, a couple of years ago that really wanted to find the solution to um, cat and dogs, you know, Gonadectomies um, mm-hmm. or making the ovaries and the testicles, you know, not producing the things that they they're normally yeah. producing. Yeah, um, the the organization that I always look at is the Alliance for Contraception in Cats and Dogs, or ACC and D. Yeah. Um, so they have a lot of information on their website about the research programs that are out there. Um, and they're acc-d.org, acc-d.org. So that's a um, that's always the organization that I think of first because they've been working on non-surgical uh, sterilization and control of fertility and so on for a very long time. That's really how I first became aware of a, of a lot of the studies was through what they. Uh, what they are doing. So they've made a big uh, impact and are really moving this field forward um, uh, very well in in conjunction with some other partners like the ASPCA and Humane Societies and International Cat Care, right, which is an organization that we know well, um, PetSmart Charities, Alley Cat Allies. So there's lots of groups, right? who are um, interested in helping find a non-surgical method and they work with uh, ACC and D. So there's a a very um, uh, well-organized, several well-organized projects going on, going on right now. So, you know, we're kind of at the point with that research where um, we have learned a lot of what won't work. You know, when you start something, people always, uh, you know, they'll start with having a good idea. Like maybe we do, maybe we do it this way. And it, uh, and it takes time for, for 
organizations to work through the preliminary and the, uh, the questions. And so we're, we're, we're at the stage now where we know a lot of what won't work um, and moving towards what might, what might work. So, um, and you know, this group also helps with projects, not just about non-surgical sterilization, but also how do we identify free roaming cats and dogs? Is there a better way, right? Because, you know, if, if you catch a cat, especially a female cat, how do you know if it's spayed or not, right? That's not, I mean, they, the cat's not gonna tell you, number one. <laughs> and mm -hmm. there's not any easy, uh, easy, um, physical methods. So they're, they, they also are interested in finding better ways to identify them. They sponsor projects on ethical decision making, uh, especially in the realm of public policy. So they're, they're really an impressive group. I, um, yeah, they're always my starting place when people want to learn more about this topic. Yeah, it's funny. They, uh, they have a book uh, from computer models to communities. Mm -hmm. A strategy to better manage free Roman cat population. So if you're interested, definitely go to, to their website. There's so much uh, information there. So tell tell me a little bit about the, the latest, the newest, and the greatest on <laughs> well, non-surgical techniques. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what's been worked through. Like some of the, um, the first interest was in uh, making the females infertile. Mm -hmm. So... Um, the early interest was in finding a vaccine, sort of an anti-fertility vaccine. Yeah, that, that makes could, a lot of sense. Yeah, that you could give to a female cat. And so the early ones targeted part of the egg, right? So, you know, going back to basic biology to create a new life, you need an egg and a sperm. And the egg has uh, an area on the outside of it called the zona pellucida. Mm -hmm. And the earliest, some of the earliest projects were making vaccines that were anti-zona pellucida. So the female would make eggs, right? She might even breed with a male cat, but the eggs would be infertile, right? Because of this anti-fertility vaccine. So um, unfortunately, though, its effects were quite uneven and it also wore off too soon. So if you think about it, you know, you just said, um, what it, once you catch a cat in a trap and then spay or neutered, it's never going to go back in that trap. Right. No. Yeah. So, uh, but once you catch a cat, it doesn't, you don't even have to spay or neuter it. Just once it gets caught, um, if you're going to inject it with something, you, that's the only chance probably you're going to have to inject it. So we can't rely on products that need to be given like every year or. No. And that, and, and it's a good point that you say that because there are, contraceptives available right now for dogs and for cats uh, that we as veterinarians use uh, with cats that are, are indoor. Um, there are benefits and disadvantages to them, but we cannot use them in this population because you have to re-give them. I mean, you have to give yeah. them at certain patterns during the year. Exactly. And, and you cannot do that because you have with these free roaming cats, you have one chance and that's yeah. it. And if you're lucky, you catch them one more time. And so that's why surgery is so definitive. You know, if the testicles are gone, they will not be able to mate. And if the ovaries are gone, they will not be able to get pregnant. So you really need to find a solution that is permanent, but doesn't cause permanent damage to anything else in the cat, which is makes this so difficult. 
Yeah, you're right. Like surgery is kind of the gold standard, isn't it? And, you know, anything that else we come up with has to kind of meet the same criteria as surgery and, and being permanent and so on. And so you're right. There, there are um, both oral and implantable products on the market. Mm. Now, I will say none of them are licensed in Canada or the U.S., mm. Some of them are licensed in other countries around the world. So depending on where you're listening from, their products may or may not be licensed in your country. So um, the, the really old ones are um, uh, like Magesterol Acetate, mm -hmm. right? Which is a very old oral contraceptive. It's, um, I don't even know it's available anymore in Canada and the US, but I know it's still used in some, um, some other countries around the world. But, you know, the cat has to take it frequently. So there are a few products like that. Um, and there are implantable products. So in Europe, there are um, implants that um, they're, they're uh, kind of given that if you think about how we give a microchip, you know, we mm -hmm. implant a microchip through a needle that's uh, bigger than a vaccine needle. So the microchip can go through it. Well, there's needles to implant slow release um, implants that release a product so that it will last longer. So that's been of interest. Um, but it's not permanent. It wears off at an unpredictable time. Like you can't predict, you know, when it's going to wear off in a given cat and it's not cheap. So I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head really well, Yo. It's not that there are no non-surgical alternatives out there. There are, but they're not really suitable for feral or community cats. Yeah. That's exactly the problem. So hence the, you know, the race to try to find something that would fit the bill. So um, uh, another area that was really interesting that I had a little bit of experience with, um, for a while, there was a product on the market that was injected into the testicle of a male dog or cat. I can't even remember the name of it now. I'm sure somebody in the audience will, will remember. I don't think any, any They tried to do alcohol. I mean, that was yeah. kind of barbaric, but no, you know. this, this wasn't alcohol based. I'm really blanking on the name. I'm sure as soon as we're off the podcast, I'll think of it. So I'll put it in the show notes yeah. um, and it had to be given under sedation or anesthesia because it hurts. Obviously. Yeah, of course. Right. So um, it didn't require surgery. And I had some experience giving it to dogs in the Galapagos when I was on a spay and neuter mm. trip to the Galapagos. So you get a little training program and then you get a certificate that says, you know, you're, you're trained to do this. Um, but uh, so it's, it's permanent in most animals, but it requires heavy sedation or anesthesia. So, you know, yeah. not, not ideal. Right. No, and then it, once again, I mean, it needs to be something that works as well, because, you know, the golden standard is, although it's invasive, is neutering uh, the, you know, in the female cat, yep. taking out the ovaries and in the male cat, taking out the testes. But yeah. so that's the gold standard that you have. And they're close uh, to foolproof. Uh, yes. And they're close to foolproof, uh, except when you do it wrong. Mm -hmm. But um, and then, you know, you prefer to have something that you for instance don't have to inject that they eat themselves so it would be great if you could put bait down that they eat and that would sterilize 
uh, the animal that you that you want to have sterilized and not the animal that you don't want to have sterilized i mean it's it's mm. it's a really complicated uh, question or uh, thing that you have to do but um and so that the vaccination was really interesting but you don't want to start injecting cats either so probably it would be easier if it was yeah. a vaccine that you could give through uh through, through yeah. food yeah so but you know that's you you alluded to a big problem with anything that would be in food or would be a bait is that it would be very hard to stop other animals from eating it yeah so it needs to be very specific yeah so so that's a that's a puzzle that hasn't been cracked right mm -hmm. so like how would you stop an, some other wild animal from eating it and potentially impacting their fertility and it might be an animal whose fertility you don't want right I know. yeah so that's tricky so a lot of the research these days is focused on um, inhibiting a master hormone and the one of the reasons for doing that is because if you can inhibit this master hormone it will work in males and females yes right so at the top of this a cascade of hormonal control of reproduction is this master hormone that is called um, gonadotropin releasing hormone or GnRH, right? Mm -hmm. And right. GnRH controls reproduction in the male and the female. So if you go to the top and you design a vaccine or you, and there are the, um, some of the implants I was mentioning actually work by yes. inhibiting GnRH, yeah. right? But they wear off. So if a vaccine could be developed that inhibits GnRH, that could, if it's long lasting, right? That could really fit the bill because it would work the, exactly the same in males and females. Um, to date, there's been, had to be different projects for females than males, but that could be something that equally works in males and females. So that's one of the really um, interesting projects that are going on right now. Um, it has been tested in, not in dogs and cats, but I think in deer or something like that. Is that correct? So, yes. Some of that's really interesting because um, it's been possible for the researchers working with dogs and cats to look at wildlife research. And one of the biggest areas, you're absolutely right, is deer. So there are um, some deer control strategies and they're usually vaccines mm -hmm. um, and they, they're not permanent, but they can suppress fertility in deer populations, right? And that's been really interesting. Like the little town that I live in, in Nova Scotia that Yola has visited, so Truro, Nova mm -hmm. Scotia, his, I, sometimes, sometimes I think there's more deer than people in town. <laughs> I'm not kidding. There's so many deer. Um, there is so many deer. And uh, oh, that reminds me of that island we went to in Japan. Oh, there that, a lot of oh deer there gosh, too. I forgot about that. I'll have to find one of those. There. What kind of deer were they, Yola? Oh, they were. Yeah, they were special deer. They were. They were so tame too. And they're little, and they're yeah. very tame. Yeah, that island. I'll have to find a photo of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, control of deer has definitely been, been, uh, you know, one of the sort of parallel um, investigations that's been going on. And that's where some of the first ideas for dogs and cats came from, was from these research projects um, with deer. So um, I don't think we have anything like ideal yet, that mm -hmm. is uh, really gets as good 
as um, uh, that, you know, the holy grail of spay or neuter. Um, but one of the nice things that A, C, C, and D does is they do have um, some um, information on their website yep. about sort of the leading um, products that you can think of. So whether it's oral or injectable or the implants, and they have some good information about um, you know, which animals can you use it in? How long does it last? What does it cost? You know, is it, is it licensed? And if it is like, what are the, what are the, uh, uh, conditions it's licensed under? So they do have some really good information on, uh, on what is currently licensed. Yeah. And that still... is an excellent segue in the ending of our podcast. Yes. Yeah, so we'll, we'll have to end on a hopeful note that, um, Hopefully some of the, the research that's ongoing will, you know, will get, get us that holy grail of a GNRH inhibiting product that's as good as surgery and put, that would put you out of surgery, uh, spay and neuter business, Yola, but that's not a bad thing, is it? No. No. <laughs> not, and you not know, I, I, I think if they, if you find a holy grail that does it forever, yeah, yeah, yeah good luck with that. Um, I think temporary, you probably can suppress, you know, hormones the body is so amazing if you suppress a hormone something will happen to the body and they will produce more hormones so it, it it is it is this normally these immunological fixes might not be uh, forever and yeah. so i think surgery will still stay the, sure the main thing but, but it know, would be nice if we have a minimal invasive. you know i'm big in minimal invasive yes. anyway so anything that we can do to decrease pain in animals is a good thing Yes, absolutely. I mean, even if we could get a product that would work for a few years instead of like a few months or a year, even that would be an advance forward. So that's exactly it. So yeah. this is a great end of uh, of uh, this wonderful podcast, uh, number two out of uh, two. Two of two. Talking yep. about shelter animals. Uh, no, not shelter well, animals. Listen to me. Feral uh, community. Feral yeah. animals yeah. and community animals, yeah. Uh, yeah. especially cats. Yes. Um, and I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Dr. Susan, thank you very much. Um, you can find for more information at uh, perpodcast.net and uh, on social media with our handle at perpodcast. That's us. And um, yeah, so uh, tell people about this, about our podcast. We appreciate it. Uh, like I said in the beginning of uh, this podcast, we have lots of downloads already and really, really appreciate our audience. They're very loyal and uh, hopefully we'll bring you the latest and the greatest about cats. We do our best. So bye until the next time. See you next week. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs, and you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatPetSusan. Dr. Yola Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVETSX. 
This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove struvite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page at per podcast. 